Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And welcome back to the show. You know, one of my most favorite topics, the thing that I'm obsessed with when I'm not obsessed with watching what's happening in Israel right now, is Francis, is, is something that Francis Pickering knows quite a bit about, and that is land planning and land use in our beautiful, beautiful Connecticut, which I love so much. He's the executive director of WestCog, which represents the region, our region, to partners, including state and federal agencies. Before that, he served as deputy director of the Central Connecticut Regional Planning Agency. He cares a lot about transportation. He cares a lot about, um, well, about how our life works, pedestrian, bicycle access, preserving and keeping our open spaces beautiful. And he joins us right now, and I've heard, Francis, I've heard really wonderful things about you. First, can you give us the list of COG? What does it stand for? Thanks for being here uh, today, Lisa. Uh, yes, I'm the executive director of the Western Connecticut Council of Governments. I'm one of uh, executive directors for nine regional council of governments in the state of Connecticut. Uh, as you're aware, we haven't had county government since 1960. And nobody wants it. And Thank nobody wants much. it. We don't right. need another layer of taxation and <laughs> we complexity do not. and we turf do not. wars. That's right. Uh, but uh, the legislature recognized that there are challenges that go beyond the ability of one municipality, one city, or town to address. Uh, and that cities and towns want to work together to solve these challenges. And they created nine councils of governments. Uh, we opened our doors in 2015. I've been the executive director since then. And we serve the area from Greenwich through Westport, north to New Milford and Newtown. And we work on a variety of different topics from transportation to housing to economic development, environmental projects, data and analytics. Uh, whatever the mayors and first selectmen ask uh, me and my staff to do, we're happy to oblige and help advance us towards shared solutions. So the reason I was impressed with you is I started to read a little bit about your opinions about some of the desegregate Connecticut uh, proposals that made its way through the legislature last mm -hmm. year, including fair share, mm -hmm. which is very controversial and still is. Uh, 830G, the original controversial uh, affordable housing bill that some people still think is the wrong attitude and the wrong way to go about it. And um, I'm curious, because I know you've looked at this pretty carefully. Let's begin with 830G. 
because that has been the framework for the last 40 years. And it's a law that shifts the burden of proof from the developer having to show how and why that it complies with zoning requirements to the planning and zoning agents, the planning and zoning boards who um, feel like they don't have any tools to force a developer to go ahead and comply with height restrictions and density requirements and setbacks and landscaping if the development has X percentage of affordable housing. And that affordable housing lasts for 40 years, and then it goes away. What do you think of 830G as a policy, Mr. Pickering? Well, housing is complex. It's generally the most expensive purchase a household will make during their lifespan. and That's many, if they buy it, but these are mostly it. rentals. It, it's just as expensive to build a rental as it is to build a house you buy. And when you look at housing, many factors go into it. Labor, materials, lending, land, and regulations. And all of these things have become very expensive over time. And in the 1980s, the General Assembly recognized that uh, local regulation, zoning, could, and in some places, had increased the cost of housing. Okay. And they held a Blue Ribbon Commission that uh, concluded in 1989, and what emerged from that was Connecticut General Statutes 8-30G, which you refer to, the affordable housing appeals process. And essentially it said, well, perhaps zoning has been used in a way that increases the cost of housing and that has negative impacts on households and our economy, and our solution is to allow developers to obtain a waiver of essentially all zoning, except for health and safety, right? I mean, so, it's crazy. So, and, and we're one of four states that's done this. I've researched Only it four I, states? Only four states. And so it is perhaps Interesting. The, the most uh, aggressive affordable housing policy you can find in the entire country because very few other states set aside all local regulation. I mean, it's ridiculous. Does it make sense to ignore your Water Pollution Control Authority, your Conservation Commission, your Zoning Board of Appeals, and your Planning and Zoning Commission? Does that make sense? Well, uh, that's a policy discussion. I'm asking you. Oh, you're a policy. Uh, yeah. What do you well, think so about what, that? What I would say is it was modeled on the uh, Massachusetts model called 40B. Interesting. And 40B 30G, is a, 40B. Yeah, a lot of numbers, your alphabet soup. And one of the differences is in Connecticut, we push everything onto the towns. Environmental regulation is pushed onto the towns. In other New England states, there's a lot more in state law. Interesting. So even though 40B in Massachusetts overrides ma- zoning in Massachusetts, there are other protections in state law it doesn't override. Oh. So, oh, so you're saying it isn't used as aggressively in places like Massachusetts. It can't well, be. California has it, too. And California, they didn't touch it for about 30 years because it was considered a nuclear option, right? Wow. And so um, does it make sense? If you are concerned that zoning is increasing the cost of housing, Blowing up zoning makes a lot of sense. What's frustrating about these proposals we've seen the last couple of years is there's no recognition that Connecticut is different. Those four states are different because a developer can already get around zoning in Connecticut. All you've got to do if you're building a housing complex, whether it's a subdivision or an apartment building, only 30% of the units have to be affordable to middle-class residents, not to lower-class residents, to middle-class residents. So it's still a lot of money. It's a lot In other of words, money. it's still creating a population of people that are good earners. It's hardly putting poor people in these developments, right, Francis? That's right, and it was not designed for that. And so when we hear complaints about zoning being too restrictive, my question is, seriously, <laughs> right? You can get around zoning in Connecticut. Now, that's not to say we don't have other challenges in the state. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about housing costs, what about the cost and availability of labor? Materials, we've seen supply chain Absolutely. Anybody try to get a contractor on your house? The costs are insane. The lead times are insane. And, of course, we've all seen what's going on with inflation and interest rates. 
Um, so it's just generally speaking expensive. It's expensive. And blaming zoning, you think, is a bit of a red herring. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that there isn't shared blame to go around. Yeah. But when we look at the state of Connecticut, uh, most of the factors are beyond our control, right? Mm-hmm. The, the cost of housing in southwestern Connecticut is being driven by the New York metro market, and trying to fix the problem in southwestern Connecticut is the tail wagging the dog. Whatever we do here, the metro market will push prices back up. It will re-equilibrate, not to let us off the hook. But you look at the state of Connecticut. Uh, the last several years, we have uh, updated our building code following international codes. Okay. The National Association of Home Builders has estimated that's added $50,000 or so to the cost of a home. And that's not within our control. That's not within local control. In fact, that state law supersedes the locals on that. So, And the reason we're doing that is what? Because we want things to last longer. We want to help mitigate climate change. What is the reason we're all, upgrading? All of the above. Okay. The challenge is when you see uh, a certain uh, approach at the state level blaming Local governments blaming local commissions of volunteers right. for driving up housing costs. Right. And there's no awareness of what the state is doing or the federal government is doing. I hear you. And what I'm really hearing, this is really wonderful, Francis. I'm so glad you're on the show. So what I'm hearing is that although we created our 830G and modeled it after Massachusetts, we didn't do it with the proper protections that the local governments could still avail themselves of to keep away certain developments that were either visually completely inappropriate, architecturally ugly, or environmentally really concerning. I, I, I would agree with that assessment. And in fact, 830G has arguably created a perverse incentive, right? So yes. if a municipality wants to build more affordable housing, but it doesn't qualify for 830G, then uh, essentially 830 is based upon a percentage calculation, a Which numerator re- and a denominator. Right. And, and it always goes away. Like this year I saw we lost 400 units mm-hmm. of already affordable housing because the 40-year moratorium expired. So good luck. They're back on the market. So what have we done? We've put ourselves in a treadmill, and our, our estimates are that in many municipalities to, for instance, we looked at one town in Connecticut, New Canaan, using inclusionary zoning where one in 10 units is, uh, is um, affordable. It's basically an asymptotic approach to the 10% under 830G. They'd have to increase the pop- town, population of the town by two, three, fourfold to get there, depending on the scenario you use. It's not realistic given our infrastructure, given... Given so the way many, we want our towns to look, Francis. Yeah, it, it's a challenge. People like small towns. They, they like them for a reason. They like living in them. Yeah, they do. But that's not to say you can't do things and to make a, a, accommodate more people. Agreed. Um, there, so what are some good ideas? So um, there are several things you can do. If you're looking at affordable housing, the cheapest affordable housing to build is the housing you don't have to build. It's the housing stock that's already there. So if you look back at the 19th century, early 20th century, we had a lot of large Victorian homes that mm-hmm. subsequently were divided up into apartments internally but maintained the same exterior. Look on the outside. Sa- That's same very pretty. Yeah. Yes. Same character. Yes. Uh, and so over 100 cities and towns of Connecticut do not allow existing homeowners to rent out rooms. Mm-hmm. I lived for a decade renting out a room from a friend. It was I never a- understood that personally. I've, I never understood why towns are so restrictive about renting out rooms. Well, there's a concern about party houses. I grew up in a university oh. town. That's viable. Maybe that's okay. a separate situation. But I, I okay. rented for a, for a decade, and that's how I saved up my down payment to buy my own house. 
Um, we don't allow uh, boarding houses, single room occupancies. Mm. Those can be well run. They don't have to be flop houses. Um, okay. we, we have a lot of commercial space that the, the property values are crashing. We have yes. high no, vacancy. No, it's a perfect opportunity. And people are going to take it on the nose, the people who own that property and the banks. Uh, why let these go into default? Can we repurpose those and preserve the value and not uh, de- demolish people's investments? So those are uh, not necessarily easy, but they're lower cost solutions. Uh, the other things we can do is make it cheaper to build a house. So a couple of years ago, Public Act twenty one twenty nine, which came out of Great Connecticut, and, and I had worked with the leader on some of the proposals in there, uh, uh, essentially uh, encourage municipalities to allow accessory apartments or accessory dwelling units yeah, across the state. Yeah, but that can state. be very problematic. I, I'm worried about that. It, it can be, and that's why towns have the ability to have their own local yeah, regulations. Yeah, I'm really worried about that. Um, the challenge right now is even though we've changed state law and local zoning, we still have other impediments, right? So let's say you've got a carriage house or detached garage. You want to turn into a small one-bedroom or efficiency unit. A very low impact won't change the look and feel of the neighborhood. We have other standards out there, such as our public health code that says you can't connect an extra bedroom Mm -hmm. to your septic system. You require an entirely new septic system Mm -hmm. because of how we calculate design flows. It's very wonky. Other states have done it in a way that protects the environment and also accommodates additional housing. So the problem is these aren't things that people can rally around Mm -hmm. politically. They're they're very technical. And so, you know, serious people need to get, get together, sit down and work out serious solutions Probably not in the public Well, one of the bills that came through the legislature last year, because I am a wonk on this, was a bill that was going to increase the amount of sewer capability without having to go through your local water pollution control authority and Mm -hmm. local land boards. I thought that was terribly insidious. Yeah, these are challenging issues for rank-and-file legislators, even expert legislators to understand. They really require background in environmental science Well, and science, they, had people on, they had one person on the board who I think he's somebody who told us that, you know, how much he admired mm-hmm. your stance. And he came on our show. I'm forgetting his name right now. And he was an engineer, and he felt that nobody was listening to him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's also a lot of misinformation out there. People said, oh, we don't have to have these standards anymore. Technology has advanced. Well, that's absolutely true. Technology has advanced. But if we're looking at what a single homeowner or an HOA can afford and maintain, a HOA or homeowner cannot afford and maintain a mini sewage treatment plant on their property. Yes, I hear you. We're going to be right back with Francis Pickering, 203-333-9422. We're talking about regional land development, affordable housing here on the Lisa Wexler Show. You're welcome to be part of the conversation. 203-333-9422. We'll be right back. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
And welcome back to the show. Francis Pickering joins us. Francis, I want to tell you that you're the executive mm-hmm. director of Westcog. I'm very encouraged that you're so young. Well, <laughs> I am. I'm not sure I'm young, just well preserved. No way. You're young. And it makes me feel good that you're young and you're really into it. By the way, Mm -hmm. I didn't say, but you have a master's in environmental management from the Free University of Berlin in Mm -hmm. Germany. You have your BA from Princeton and an MA in geography from the University of Connecticut. You're certainly incredibly well-educated. Eric from Fairfield has a question Mm -hmm. for you. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the show today. Lisa, thank you for having me. Appreciate the opportunity, and I love listening to this conversation. Francis, I've Learned a ton just from listening to you here for the last few moments. Um, as Lisa mentioned, I am a resident of Fairfield. I'm a bit younger, and depending on how you classify that, around 40. Uh, I have two small children. So this is a town that I'm um, so enthusiastic about building my life and my family here. I've been here for about 10 years, and I've seen a lot of changes in Fairfield, mostly positive. Um, but there are some concerns. As we look at, and you mentioned the Fairfield metro area and how that impacts southern Connecticut. Uh, one of the wonderful things about the town is that we have the train system coming through here with Metro North. We have two different train stops. A lot of the developments, especially in the downtown area, which as I make this phone call, I happen to be sitting in, um, there's a lot of controversy around being able to put the quote-unquote affordable housing and then a little bit more of a high-rise infrastructure here downtown. I am one of those people who do prefer to keep it a small town. I heard Lisa say that earlier, referring to New Canaan and other towns. Um, and it's not that I want to... Um, uh, disqualify anybody from living here by any means, but it feels as if um, this town is starting to turn into a city slowly. And so um, as a citizen, I'm I'm just curious, uh, aside from going to public hearings and and trying to elect as as we're on the verge of an election here, uh, the proper, you know, personnel that I think are going to represent my, uh, my perspective, is there anything you would suggest or recommend to somebody in my, in my role who has said what I've said and kind of holds the beliefs I hold about the town of Fairfield and just want to see it mature, develop, and evolve, but not in a commercial way and not in a way where it's just necessarily for profit and developers coming in to, to build and then move on to the next town, right? How do we sort of uh, do that from a community level? Thanks for the question, Eric, and it's great to hear uh, that you're so interested in your community. And we have a very high level of civic engagement in Connecticut. Not every state has that. We, we should be thankful for that. Eric, I fully expect to see you running for the Planning and Zoning Commission soon, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) And listen, I did, okay? And I did it when I was 33 or something, or 35, so. And I was on P&Z, and I was on Zoning Board of Appeals for six years altogether, and it was some of the greatest public service I ever did, and I really loved it. But go ahead, Francis. Great well, I, question. Lisa took the words out of my mouth. I would say, I believe in Fairfield, it's the, it's the TPZ. Uh, I TPZ, would, it is. Yeah, I, I would absolutely run for your um, uh, TPZ, and if, if you, you know, either as an alternate or as a full fledged member, or or just show up. Yes. Um, you know, they're they're that these commissions love to hear from their residents. It's you know they don't have a divining rod. They don't know what you're thinking. So if you have an opinion, show up. Um, it's great when you show up with information. You might only have three minutes to speak, but you can show up every meeting and ra- raise uh, issues that are concerning you. The other thing I'd say is you know um, do your own research. Uh, we hear a lot from advocates out there. Uh, I've, I've lived in many places, and, and things you learn in school or that advocates say aren't always true. You can find counterexamples. If you find some place you really like, then take photographs. And bring it to your TPZ and bring it to your town. Wow. Show it to your neighbors. Special. Good you know, idea. There's a lot of conversation Beautiful about- trees, different scapes, vistas. Mm-hmm. And by the way, can we talk about this? Francis, I have yeah. a favor to ask of you because I know you're a real leader. Can you help create an architectural vocabulary 
that is that it has some flexibility. We understand that, but that has some kind of common because we all know when we see it, things that are prettier than other things. Mm-hmm. We like our pitched roofs, for example. Nobody likes these prison-like barrack things in these ugly colors that are coming up on every single corner. Mm-hmm. Norwalk, mm-hmm. Fairfield, everywhere. Eric, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I know exactly what you're talking you know exactly, about. And please I, continue to talk. Right? In other words, if they're clad in some New England shingle mm-hmm. and their window panes are divided, there's a lot less angst and upsetness about the building of things that have a New England architectural yes. vocabulary. And that's this, this New England vocabulary vernacular. Is, it, you've hit the nail on the head. Here, here's the challenge. People, people. Eric, will say, you have to stop moving. You're, yeah. I, I'm going to have to let you go because there's clatter. So, go ahead. You know what? What, what we'll hear is uh, people will, will uh, a municipality will uh, oppose. Uh, let's say a proposed small apartment building, yeah. and it's it's spun like they're against affordable housing, or they're against uh, multifamily housing, which in some cases may be, may be true, but in most of the time, it doesn't fit the look and feel of their community. Yeah, the character and if you, word. If you get the architecture and the site planning correct, people will say, this is great. That's correct. Now, that does require a little more work on behalf of the developer. And here's one of the big challenges under Connecticut state law is that I mean, uh, planning and zoning commission, if you're not in historic or village district, you have no authority to regulate the appearance of a building. You can't talk about the materials. You can't talk about the colors. You can talk about the massing and the roof line and things like that. Can we pause sure. President mm-hmm. Biden live from Israel? Thank you, Francis. Gaza. Based on the information we've seen to date, it appears the result of an errant rocket fired by a terrorist group in Gaza. The United States unequivocally stands for the protection of civilian life during conflict. And I grieve, I truly grieve for the families who were killed or wounded by this tragedy. Okay, that was just a little bit. I guess we're having uh, like a delay with the... um yeah, you know how that goes when you upload whatever. But that's okay. We wanted to hear it. And you know what? We'll end up getting probably a better clip of it later in the show. Or Paul Paselli from 2 to 6 will likely have it. Or Eric Erickson may have it from 12 to 2. Francis Pickering, I apologize for your yep. interruption. But you, you go ahead. You so were talking about back, architectural back, vocabulary. Getting yeah. back to Eric's question, right? Yes. Since the General Assembly does not allow planning and zoning commissions to regulate the details of architecture, you can't require them to be New England vernacular. Um, they have some relatively crude tools. They can talk about building massing, height, roof lines, symmetry of where the fenestration or windows go. It does take some creativity to – so I'll give you an example. In Vermont, we have the same restriction. You cannot regulate the architecture. But if you go to Vermont, you don't see drive-throughs and chain stores. No, you don't. You don't. You don't. And so I reached out to Vermont planners and said, how do you do it? Because you can't. How do you do you it, Vermont? Legally, I love Vermont. You can't legally ban chains. So what they have done is they've gone around, they've looked at chain buildings, and they have a very unique architecture, right? Chain restaurants don't have a front door on the front of the building. It's on the side of the building. So they've done things, for instance, say, your roof must be have a certain pitch. Your front door must be on the front. They've made, they've, they've written these rules such that the template designs that chains use don't work. And the chains don't want to do a custom design for Vermont. So what do you get? You get local business. This is what you can do in Connecticut, too. You've got to think creatively. You say, okay, what don't we want? You write your regulations not to allow that, but to allow what you want. Can local towns do that? 
and not be in violation of any kind of state regulation? Well, they will. They, they it still could be overridden by eight thirty G. And if they start getting into architectural details, such as you know what kind of uh, lintels we have on the windows, that would be a violation. But if they talk about how many windows, the symmetry, the roof line, the size of the building, that they can get into. This is very valuable information. Can Cogs and your executive director mm-hmm. of West Cogs? start to publish these things that then can be presented in a coherent way to legislators? Well, Public Act 2129 requires training of land use commissioners, planning and zoning commissioners, uh, at least four hours, I believe, every two years. Uh, though it might be four years. I've got to check on that. And um, one of the roles that the COGS have is providing training to the commissioners. So we are starting to build up a resource online of training seminars they can use. We're focusing on environmental protection first and affordable housing. Yes, okay. Uh, and we will move on to other topics in the future. Uh, I, I have to say that... But the- if affordable housing has some of this architectural vocabulary, I think that would go a long way towards having people meet in the middle. Absolutely. You know, Westport is trying to uh, create uh, clusters of small ranch homes. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. Do you know what kind of a demand there is for downsizing for seniors that would be very happy to say goodbye to their multi-thousand square foot home that's going to be torn down anyway and become a mega mansion, mm-hmm. and they really still want to live in the town? Home sizes have doubled across the country in the last 50 years. Which and, means they've tripled and, in And you know, the, the interesting thing is I have, I'm holding a chart you can't see, but radio listeners, but one is the size of the home, one is the cost of the home. They track each other almost perfectly. Naturally. Because so, if oh, yeah. you do it by square foot, of course they would. In mm. 1973, the average new single-family house was 1,500 square feet. That's the house I grew up in, mm-hmm. 1,500 square feet. It was fine. It was three-bedroom, two-bath. I mean, when I think about the bathrooms, they were tiny compared to today's bathrooms. We were very happy. And now it is up to 2,700 mm-hmm. square feet. Wow. Yeah. Francis, you'll have to come back. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Francis Pickering of Westcog's executive director. He will be back with us, I promise. Stay tuned for the next live hour of the Lisa Wexler Show here on WICC. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com. 